With each new discovery of classified documents at Joe Biden's home and office, the case grows stronger that the president can and should be charged with crimes. Attorney, Fox News legal analyst, and two-time New York Times bestselling author. This is The Brief with Greg Jarrett. Billionaire investor Michael Pinto has a warning for you. Don't listen to anyone who tells you how bad the crash will be and when it exactly will happen. Nobody knows. But the CEO of Wells Fargo warns the worst is yet to come for Americans. Pay attention to the economic data. Inflation is at a 40-year high. And make no mistake about it, the recession is real, no matter how the White House tries to change the definition. That's why Bloomberg, Goldman Sachs, and Jim Cramer are all calling for gold to surge. Gold and silver have historically moved opposite the stock market and in the long term can preserve your purchasing power. Call 800-809-8500 and Lear Capital, the number one rated gold company, will present the same trusted options they have been giving successful investors since 1997. At Lear Capital, most IRA rollovers qualify for no IRA fees for up to five years. Their current incentive offers up to $15,000 in bonus silver for well-qualified new customers. A three-minute call can protect your portfolio with the power of real physical gold. Call 800-809-8500 today. Again, that's 800-809-8500 and tell them Greg Jarrett sent you. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. There are two laws that Joe Biden appears to have violated repeatedly, 18 U.S.C. 793 and 1924. A person can be indicted if he or she knowingly removes classified material with intent to retain it in an unauthorized location. Well, a private office, a garage, and a home those are obviously unauthorized because they're not sufficiently secure from intrusion. The nation's secrets are vulnerable to theft by foreign adversaries. In Biden's case, the increasing number of different locations where classified records were found is strong circumstantial evidence that this was not simply a single instance where a record was inadvertently misplaced. No. Instead, there are three locations and counting. This suggests that their placement was both knowing and intentional. The number of documents is not nearly as incriminating as the number of locations where those documents were kept. But intent is not the only legal standard. A lesser requirement of gross negligence, that's enough to merit criminal charges. And here, Joe Biden has all but admitted such reckless or extremely careless actions by attributing the wayward documents to inadvertence. Indeed, it's the literal dictionary definition of it. There is little question that Biden's mishandling of these national security materials was, at the very least, grossly negligent. 
Malign actors may well have gained access. The president's son, Hunter Biden, who is under criminal investigation for influence peddling schemes involving foreign entities, had routine and ready access. Federal prosecutors have brought numerous cases against individuals who mishandled classified documents in much the same way that Joe Biden did. David Petraeus, director of the Central Intelligence Agency, kept classified documents inside his home. He faced criminal charges and pleaded guilty. John Deutsch, also CIA director, stored classified information in his residence. While negotiating a plea agreement with prosecutors, he received a presidential pardon. Equally disturbing is how Biden has handled this matter. His use of lawyers to retrieve documents is baffling to the point of suspicious. It indicates that he may have known that classified records were kept in illegal places. Moreover, some of his lawyers admittedly had no security clearance. This raises the possibility of additional crimes committed during the collection process. Since the attorneys were acting at Biden's direction, he would be culpable if they viewed any of the classified information. Now, Biden insists that he, quote, takes classified materials very seriously, end of quote. He claims he's been transparent throughout. This is demonstrably false. First of all, upon discovery of the first batch of documents on November 2nd, 2022, he and his lawyers did not immediately alert either the FBI or the Department of Justice. They notified the National Archives. Did the Biden team hope that that agency would overlook the criminal nature of what happened and just sweep the affair under the rug? It was the archives, not Biden, that informed the DOJ two days after the discovery. Second of all, Biden's actions are the antithesis of transparency. After publicly slamming Donald Trump for allegedly mishandling classified records, the president actively concealed his own scandal from the American public for more than two long months. As voters were casting ballots in the midterm elections, and his attorney general, Merrick Garland, was appointing a special counsel to investigate Trump, Biden remained mum. He was forced to come clean only when CBS News broke the story on January 9th. Had it not been for the aggressive reporting of the network, Biden's potential crimes might still be hidden. If Biden's conduct is alarming, so is Merrick Garland's. He publicly announced the appointment of a special counsel for Trump on November 18th. By then, the attorney general had known of Biden's classified breach for two weeks, but said nothing at all. A month later, on December 20th, the president's lawyers found even more classified records in his Delaware garage and informed Garland, who remained publicly silent. The third and fourth set of classified records were again located by Biden's lawyers just last week. Why was the FBI in all of this? 
The uncovering of classified material in unauthorized location constitutes various crime scenes. So why weren't agents immediately dispatched to those venues? Why weren't they tasked with scouring all possible locations where other materials might be housed? A full 73 days elapsed between the first and the last discoveries. There was no sense of urgency in protecting top secrets that might put our nation's security at risk. Even Democrat Representative Adam Schiff admitted that Biden might have jeopardized national security. Unlike Trump, no subpoenas or warrants were issued. No grand jury was convened or raids ordered. To the contrary, a potential criminal defendant was allowed to have his own compromised lawyers searching for incriminating evidence against their client. This absurdity turns justice on its head. Their duty, after all, is to protect Biden, not gather evidence against him for the government's benefit. Yet none of this seems to bother Merrick Garland in the least. Biden's defenders, including the media, assert that the president's conduct pales in comparison to Trump's because there were more documents at Mar-a-Lago. Well, this is inaccurate for several reasons. Whether it's 20, as in Joe Biden, or more than 100 for Trump, The legal issue at stake is classification status, not numbers. The former president insists he declassified the records before he left office, and the law affords him unfettered discretion to do so. Whether he did it or not has not been litigated or resolved. If the materials at his residence were no longer classified, then he has not violated the statutes I cited. Joe Biden, his vice president, did not have the same authority to declassify. Yes, some in the media have reported that, well, an executive order was signed by then-President Barack Obama in December of 2009, and that conferred the same power to Joe Biden. It did not. That order, signed by Obama, had no force in effect because a president cannot unilaterally alter or modify an exclusive constitutional power. Regardless, the matter is irrelevant, since Joe Biden is not claiming that he declassified anything. As I've argued before, the Trump records are a dispute over custody of papers under the Presidential Records Act. The controlling statute is civil, not criminal. And the proper remedy for Garland was to seek a return of the contested documents by simply filing a motion in civil court. Let an impartial judge resolve the conflict. It is not obstruction of justice for Trump to assert his rights under the Presidential Records Act. Joining me now is Nicole Parker. She was a special agent with the FBI from 2010 until just a couple of months ago when she resigned. She wrote an op-ed on Fox News entitled, Why I Left the FBI. Uh, She wrote, in relevant part, uh, she left because things changed. The FBI became politically weaponized. Nicole, thanks for being with us. And I do 
so much want to talk to you about the reasons why you left the FBI uh, identified in your terrific op-ed. But before we do, I want to talk to you about uh, the FBI's handling of the Biden classified documents case. His lawyers were allowed to go through all of the different locations, uh, four different batches, apparently three locations for two months plus. And the FBI apparently did not converge on those locations to secure classified documents that if gained access by foreign adversaries uh, would adversely affect America's national security. I'm, I'm bewildered and perplexed. Where's the FBI in all of this? What do you think? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I really appreciate you allowing me to come and speak with you today. Um, I'd first like to state that I was not involved in any investigations involving classified documents at the FBI. I definitely want to make that very, very clear. Right. I was not involved in any of the investigations that are currently underway um, involving anything with Mar-a-Lago, with Joe Biden, or anything of that nature. So that needs to be very, very clear. I am a resigned FBI agent, and I'm now at the liberty to discuss what has been seen in the media, and I'm able to have my own opinions. Um, when, when we see things like this, this is when America is looking to see how the FBI is going to respond. If you have multiple incidents, which now, you know, this is probably the third incident. If we start with Hillary Clinton, then we go into President Trump, and then now Joe Biden, President Biden. You know, if, if all of it involves handling of classified information, it needs to be very clear that everything is handled fairly, appropriately, and there should be no difference in how different cases are handled. With the Biden investigation, it seems I would be interested in understanding when exactly the FBI was notified of these classified documents. Was it when they were discovered by the attorneys back in the fall? Or, or when was that? When was the FBI even notified of the documents? And was a case opened at that time? Obviously, I don't know because I am not there. I did not work this case and I would not be at the liberty to discuss if I was. But that would be one really important question to ask is when was the FBI actually notified? Let's assume the FBI is notified two days after the discovery of the documents. Uh, November 2nd, they were discovered. Uh, according to the Biden White House, um, they notified the National Archives, not the FBI and the DOJ. It was archives two days later on November 4th that notifies the Department of Justice. At that point in time, and the DOJ presides over the FBI, at that point in time, wouldn't the FBI have been immediately sent to Biden's office, his private office at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, the Penn-Biden Think Tank Center, um, because that's a potential crime scene. The potential crimes here fall under 18 U.S.C. Uh, 793 and 1924, which makes it a crime uh, to have to store 
uh, classified documents in an unauthorized location. Clearly, a college campus is an unauthorized location. There's no skiff there to protect the documents. So wouldn't, under normal circumstances, the FBI be sent immediately to secure the scene, to secure the classified documents? I absolutely believe that in a, you know, that would merit the FBI responding immediately. Why the FBI did not respond immediately, I can't answer that question, right? And that's the question that many of us have, many Americans have, is there seems to be a discrepancy at times on how the FBI responds depending upon who it is that is being investigated. Yeah. It is confounding to me. Um, No subpoenas, no warrants were issued relative to the Biden uh, documents, no grand jury convened, no raid ordered. To the contrary, a potential criminal defendant, Joe Biden, uh, was allowed to have his compromised lawyers search for incriminating evidence against their own client. I mean, that's utterly absurd. Their duty as lawyers is to protect their client, Joe Biden, not gather evidence against him for the government's benefit. Yet none of this seems to bother the Attorney General Merrick Garland and uh, the FBI. They have continued for two months to allow Biden's lawyers to search for and collect classified documents at his office, in his garage, in his home. Um, It seems to me that if his last name was Trump, the FBI would have immediately reported to these potential crime scenes, secured them, and collected the the documents. Well, and I don't even know that it's just if it was last name Trump. I think it's, um, you know, if, if I had been in possession of classified documents, it would have been a very, very different reaction, right? If any other American had been in possession of classified documents, it would have been a very different response. And we all know that. Um, the other thing that I find interesting is that Americans were just informed of this and the documents were found this fall, but yet um, it was just, you know, put out just, you know, last week. And so why was there that delay? That, that definitely raises eyebrows to, um, you know, the citizens to understand what it was that caused that delay. Was it something with, you know, midterm elections? I don't know. But those are the types of things that when people say at the FBI, no, we are not politicized. It is fair. And I want to believe that most of the investigations at the FBI are fair and are not politicized. But when it seems to be one side of the spectrum is constantly being um, scrutinized, but then on the opposite end of the spectrum, it seems, you know, there's almost kid gloves is what people are saying. You know, it just needs to be fair. And and, and part of my op-ed, and I know we'll talk about that, but America deserves to have a fair and impartial legal system. And it should not matter who the individual is. You should be looking at the crime and looking at the evidence. Obviously, we know that the president of the United States has the authority to declassify documents. 
I'm not going to get into the granularity of that. I do not know the details of documents having been declassified or not declassified. Regardless, we know that the president has the highest level of authority to declassify. We know that other individuals who have been in possession of classified documents do not have the authority to declassify. And so we want to just look at every single fact involved. And a lot of times on the outside, we don't know all the facts and evidence because we don't see it. Unless you're the investigator or the attorney involved, you we don't have access. And so you want to always be careful to not jump to conclusions. But when there's this repetitive pattern of what appears to be one side of the political political spectrum getting one treatment and the other side getting another, that is when Americans start to lose trust in the FBI and in the Department of Justice. And we just can't have that in this country. It's too important. It has to be fair. Yeah. I mean, you've got President Joe Biden appearing on 60 Minutes and absolutely blasting Uh, Donald Trump for alleged classified documents. Trump claims he declassified them and he has unfettered authority uh, to do so. Uh, And you've got Merrick Garland standing in front of television cameras and microphones in November announcing a special counsel to investigate Trump, knowing full well he'd known for two weeks that Biden it pretty much done the same thing, had classified documents in an unauthorized location, uh, not one, not two, but three locations. Uh, and yet it's concealed from the American public. This is beyond hypocrisy, isn't it? I mean, this is hyper-partisanship for political it, gain. Yeah, it just, to me, it just doesn't look good. And again, I am very fair and unbiased. I do not take a political stance on any of these types of positions, nor should I, nor should anyone that is looking at the facts. And it just, it just doesn't appear to be equal justice. But I do have to give Merrick Garland credit. He did appoint a special counsel. Granted, it was, you know, after it came out in the media, there were yeah, classified documents found. kicking and screaming only after right. CBS after- broke the story did right. they come after- clean and say, oh, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah, we, you know, Biden had classified documents and, oh, okay, now I'm going to appoint a special counsel. That, that was right. done. Like, why was that special counsel not appointed back in the fall when they were discovered is a very critical question that... American citizens have. And so these are the real examples of it. Appearances matter. The facts matter. And when it doesn't appear that it's fair and equal, that is when the distrust comes. And so, you know, I'm I'm glad that a special counsel was appointed. You know, why it wasn't appointed sooner. I'm not there to make that judgment call. But Americans can come to their own conclusions, and that is what we need to fix in the FBI. We need it to be fair. We need it to be just. And when it's not, then this is where the questions come in from the outside. All right. I want to turn now to your column that you published uh, on FoxNews.com, Why I Left the FBI. 
And let's step back for just a moment. On September 11th, 2001, you were working at Merrill Lynch, top floor of the World Financial Center in New York City, right? Yes, I was. Um, I was working for the chairman of Merrill Lynch International, Wynn Smith Jr. at the time. Um, It was just another Tuesday morning. It was a beautiful Tuesday morning. I will never forget. I remember every detail of what happened that morning. It started out normal, and then all of a sudden, it turned into the absolute worst nightmare that anyone could ever imagine. Uh, You know, Greg, it was unfathomable what I witnessed, and I... (laughs) It, it, it changed my life. It absolutely changed my life. When you see individuals who are so desperate, who have no way out and the best way for them to deal with this awful tragedy is to be jumping off of the top floors of the World Financial Center to their death, that changes your life. That changed my life. When I was coming out of the World Financial Center, it was a mob of people trying to just understand what was going on. Where do we go for safety? What is happening? There's debris everywhere. There's just screaming. And it was just absolute pandemonium for the New York police department to help us and to get us away from those buildings. Just keep getting away. That made a lasting impression on me at a very young age, uh, you know, a recent college graduate. And I knew in my heart, I need to give back to this country. And I did. I made a vow to God. If I get out of here and I stand as a witness of this, I will come and I will give back to this country. And there were people that helped me that morning and I am forever grateful to them. And I knew that I owed it to other people to help them in their moment of need. And that is what working for the FBI has allowed me to do. It has been a vehicle for me to give service to this country and to the people in this country. And it was my honor and privilege to work for the FBI. It truly was an incredible experience. Even with the tragedies that I went through, I worked through multiple, you know, shooting scenes and minor sex assaults and little children being sexually assaulted. And, you know, having to tell parents at the Parkland school shooting that their child was not coming home and that they had been killed. I mean, this is serious stuff that we were doing to assist you know, the FBI, other law enforcement agencies, I work shoulder to shoulder with the finest people, federal prosecutors, local law enforcement, federal. When you put that much into your career, it matters. And when all of a sudden you've sacrificed so much for a career to give back to this country, and then it seems that the organization you're working for has shifted so dramatically, I felt like it was no longer the vehicle that I should be using to give service to this country. And I made a decision that I might be able to make a stronger impact in America outside the FBI because of the changes that I was seeing that had nothing to do with the type of work I was doing, but it negatively impacted me and those around me. And it just, I, I prayed about it. It was a hard decision. I worked hard to get into the FBI, but I prayed and I felt like God had a new path for me and that I wanted to give back to this country in a different way outside of the FBI. You write that over the course of my 12 plus years of service, the FBI's trajectory transformed. On paper, the Bureau's mission remained the same, but its principles and, and, and priorities shifted dramatically. The FBI, and I'm quoting you here, became politically weaponized, starting from the top in Washington 
and trickling down to the field offices. Explain what happened. So, again... (laughs) I came to the FBI because, you know, I had the images of 9-11 where all those officers were helping me and what an amazing unifying time it was for our country. And that's how I, you know, I came on board. I was starting, I started in white collar and, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. I mean, I'm telling you, Greg, there were times that I thought, wow, this is not even a job. Like this is a mission. Like I literally felt like I was on a mission and I, I just worked hard, kept my head low, worked hard, did my cases. I worked white collar for about four years. I moved over to violent crime, worked violent crime in some capacity for the rest of my career. And we were making a difference. But it seemed like just the tone at the FBI shifted from, there were times I wondered if I was still working at a law enforcement agency. There were times I thought, Am I working like the 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 emails that were constantly coming out on, you know, almost a sometimes daily, definitely weekly, several times a month at least basis about things that had nothing to do with enforcing the law. And I'm all about, you know, diversity and I'm all about those types of things. I love everyone. I frankly don't care what someone's sexual preference or races, I religion, I love everyone. And I just love the amazing people I worked with. But it seemed like there were just this, this emphasis on things that really didn't have as much to do with, with enforcing the laws and actually doing the actual work. And it kind of seemed like it was like, at times, I felt like that was almost like the higher priority than focusing on the mission and talking about the mission and our cases and the work and encouraging us. And it just seemed I don't know, just that internal aspect of it. That's something that happened internally that I just thought, hmm. And I did. I lost my very dear friend, Special Agent Laura Schwarzenberger, paid the ultimate sacrifice along with another agent and three others that were shot. And they they are the real heroes in the FBI. And and I just want to focus on on things like that at the FBI and the, and the work that we're doing. And it just seemed internally that the priorities had shifted and and what was the number one priority just didn't seem like it was necessarily about talking about fighting crime. You know, it was about how the green mission of the FBI and becoming green. And, and I'm like, what does that have to do with putting criminals behind bars in our national security, you know? And it just seemed like an onslaught of that type of focus Um, among other things. That's just one example um, you know, the one that I cited in the the op-ed with the Neil team, well, I apologize, the kneeler, the kneelers that knelt at the protests at Washington, D.C. in the summer of 2020, that really was an alarming moment for many agents nationwide. These are FBI say, agents kneeling. These are FBI agents in their FBI-marked ballistic vests that we wear when we go out on operations to protect us. And rightfully so, they were wearing them. They were asked to stand outside of different federal buildings. I was not there, obviously, but his images surfaced all over the news. And there were agents kneeling to protesters. Um, They claimed it was because of de-escalation. But on the pictures, you see some agents smiling and and clapping. And it didn't appear to be that they were de-escalating. It was almost as if they were in... Endorsement with the motion. And there are very strict rules at the FBI. 
And you, we have something called OPR. And if you are breaking the rules, you're typically sent to OPR, the Office of Professional Responsibility. And if you had worn a vest to another, and I don't need to get into names, but if you had worn your FBI vest to a to a, a rally for a presidential candidate during the summer of 2020, I guarantee you there would have been a reprimand. Okay. And the fact that these individuals were offered $100 gift cards by the FBI Agents Association. No, that is not the FBI. It is a separate agency, but they represent the agents of the FBI. I'm sorry, but there are people doing really heavy lifting who were not offered $100 gift cards after working active shooter events. I mean, it's just entirely inappropriate. And the image of that, it just lost a lot of trust for Americans. And I respect if someone believes in the movement of the protesters. I have no problem with that. If I am an agent and I agree with them and I, I agree, that's no problem. But it is a problem if I'm going to make a political statement on the job in my FBI vest. That is a problem. You're allowed to have your political opinions, your views. You are absolutely allowed. I'm allowed to go to a rally if I want, but I cannot wear an FBI vest to a rally. Absolutely unacceptable. And again, they were not going to a rally. They were working and I understand, but when they were kneeling, it appeared that they were endorsing the protesters. And that appeared to be a political statement to many agents nationwide. That was a moment where agents were like, hmm, this doesn't seem right. And everyone was waiting for the fallout. And then it was heard that they were offered gift cards, that they were given hugs, that they were not congratulated, but almost like, you know, thank you so much. And look, I don't want to rush to judgment. I'm a very fair person, but that's just inappropriate. And it really, that that type of thing really needs to, um, it's just just not appropriate. You know, as as you wrote, the FBI became politically weaponized. I cite the decline of the FBI and principally, you know, top officials there um, with the Trump-Russia collusion investigation. And James Comey, Andrew McKay, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, the whole gang. And I wrote two books of it, about it, The Russia Hoax and Witch Hunt. In which, you know, the the FBI lied to the FISA court to gain four successive warrants to spy on the Trump campaign, Carter Page in particular. Uh, and they debunked the dossier early on, within just a few months. And yet they didn't disclose that to the American public. They didn't disclose it to Congress. And instead, they, they used the, the phony dossier funded by the Hillary Clinton campaign to go after Trump with a vengeance as a pretext to continue their investigation and to trigger the appointment of a, of a special counsel. Um, as all of that was going on, were you beginning and, and the disclosures of what the FBI was doing, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, and so forth? Uh, McCabe and Rosenstein plotting to secretly wear a wire to record Trump to use his evidence against him to drive him from office. As you're listening to all of this, and McCabe was deputy director of the FBI, 
is you're listening to all this, watching it unfold back then, still as an FBI agent. What were you thinking? Well, again, like I said, um, I was very, very far away from all of that. Okay. That was happening again in Washington, as my op-ed stated. Um, I was working criminal matters, working violent crime. And people need to understand the FBI is very siloed almost, you know, it's not that everything that happens in the FBI affects every agent because really you're working your investigations and that's what you're focused on are your investigations. That's what you spend your time doing, what you're focused on, what you have control over. We do not know everything that's happening around the FBI at all times. You know what you're doing on your investigations and what you generally hear, you know, the large cases such as that. That was one that we all heard about, obviously, as did the American people. And we hear things like that, and you're shaking your head as you're sitting there trying to work bank robberies and Hobbs Acts and, you know, uh, extortions. And, you know, it had nothing to do with the work I was doing, yet we all take the same oath to uphold the Constitution. And you hope that while you're working your criminal cases and upholding the Constitution, that others in the Bureau are upholding their oath to the Constitution as well, regardless of what field offices they're in, regardless of what case they're assigned, because we we need to stand together. And when there's individuals that don't seem to be upholding their oath, it has a negative impact on everyone. And it's it's not good. And so, you know, I don't, Profess to know that investigation inside. I again, I never worked those cases. I right. had, I was down it. in Miami, but it negatively impacted all of us. And the worst part was that Americans started losing trust. And I've said this over and over we need the respect and trust of the American people. And when there's people up in DC or whatever field office, that are doing these types of things, it has a damaging effect and it trickles down even down to someone who's working violent crime in Miami or in Los Angeles or wherever it might be. And so we just need to be fair and doing our investigations fairly and having the highest level of integrity and, and trying to, you know, I, I I don't know. I, I think fidelity, bravery, and integrity, no one is perfect. We don't have anyone in the FBI that's perfect, and that's not expected. No one on this earth is perfect, and no one's asking for perfection. But we're asking that you're doing your best and trying hard to really maintain fidelity, bravery, and integrity. Yeah. Um, fast forward beyond the Russia hoax which I've described as the greatest mass delusion in American political history, to the Hunter Biden case. Now, in its fifth year of an investigation, despite compelling evidence of influence peddling, fraud, bribery, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, money laundering, I mean, the list goes on and on. Uh, The evidence on the laptop alone is damning evidence. And yet, here we are in the fifth year of the investigation, no indictment, no criminal charges. And, you know, two dozen whistleblowers have come forward to Congress to explain why. 
Right. They say the fix is in that the top officials at the FBI, which had the laptop since December of 2019, not only peddled the phony story that it was Russian disinformation, but buried the evidence in a secret file only they could access and work sedulously to right. uh, prevent any criminal charges from being filed, not just against Hunter Biden, but Joe Biden, who the documents show was complicit in this influence peddling scheme with foreign entities and foreign governments. Um, and, you know, these whistleblowers, I applaud them for their courage. They are, are they not, Nicole, risking their lives and livelihoods by coming forward and blowing the whistle on the FBI. Well, you know, again, it comes back to the same thing of upholding the oath that we took to defend and sustain the Constitution and to operate with the highest level of integrity. When you see something, you say something. We know that saying. We heard it starting in after 9-11. If you see something, say something. It applies across all aspects. And again, I have the highest level of respect for someone who's willing to stand up for the truth and what is right. And you know the consequences, like you mentioned, could be severe, but that's what they truly know. How do you sleep at night knowing that you're not standing up for what is right? I, I commend them. People have called me a whistleblower. I'm not actually a whistleblower because I was not asked to participate in these types of things. I did not witness this firsthand. I did not, you know, go talk to Congress. I, I, I chose to resign from the FBI because even sitting here talking to you, you're giving me one thing after another, after another, that just doesn't appear to be right or fair. And it appears to be politicized. And I commend these whistleblowers for standing up for, for what is right. And, you know, may the truth set you free. And may the FBI resolve these issues. And we know that the FBI reports into the Department of Justice at the end of the day. And I, I really believe, Greg, that the FBI is not... It's not over for the FBI. The FBI can come back. I think it's a key of making appropriate changes at this absolutely critical moment in history for the FBI. This is yeah. a critical moment. Which way are we going to go? And like I said, and I've said it over and over, I said it in my op-ed, I have said it on interviews, most of the agents are outstanding individuals and employees, outstanding individuals. That I was never affiliated with this corruption the people that I worked directly with, they were never affiliated with this corruption. We were literally just trying to get the job done. And these people, we work hard. And so I want to make sure that there's that differentiation. It's not everywhere, but it does tend to start up in DC and trickle down to the field offices. Things are being pushed down to the field offices. People are being told to work certain things at the instruction of you know, the top people up in Washington. It does, a lot of those cases don't originate from the field office. They're originating from Washington and being pushed down to the field office. And that's what I mean by the trickling down effect in that aspect, but also the trickle down effect in that we all feel the repercussions of what's happening at the top. And let me tell you, I know some really good people at the top too. So 
there's a, there's a mixed bag anywhere you go in life, right? There's really good people and there's people that may not be doing the right thing, but I'm not going to sit here and say that the FBI is, is done and it needs to be defunded. Absolutely not. I pray and believe that the good people, like you just referenced, those whistleblowers, they're going to rise up. And I hope that at this pivotal moment that the FBI listens and does the right thing. And I, I want to believe because of all the goodness I did see while I was at the Bureau, that that is what's going to happen and things are going to, to get better, but there need to be some changes. Absolutely. A lot of changes. And with this new Congress coming in and them looking into some different things, maybe that's what's going to happen. Well, it starts at the top, as you say. Uh, change needs to be undertaken. And, and I must say, and I've said this uh, on air and in my columns, that Christopher Ray has had plenty of times to f- plenty of time to fix things at the FBI, and he hasn't done it. He has done nothing to clean up the cesspool of corruption that has infected the FBI's headquarters uh, in the Hoover Building, and I have no confidence in him. Maybe you would uh, argue otherwise. You know, (laughs) again, I always like to be fair. I met Chris Ray on his first day on the job ever. He came to the Miami division for an agent that passed away while taking immediately after taking our physical fitness test. We had a memorial service for that agent, and I have to give Chris Ray credit. He came down his first day on the job to support this family who had lost their loved one, who was a special agent who had served with honor. And I met Chris Ray. He was actually brought over to my desk um, to discuss a large investigation I had just worked where an individual who had been sexually assaulting minor minors had received multiple life sentences. And so uh, our special agent in charge brought him over to my desk to personally meet me and congratulate me on that case. And he was a complete gentleman. He was kind. He was respectful. He was he seemed like a wonderful person. So I'm not going to say anything about him as a person, but leadership, that's different. We need leadership and you can be a very wonderful person, but we really need strong leadership. Someone who, if you're being told to do something from even higher up than you, you have to be able to stand up for the FBI and say, no, we're not going to do that. Or yes, I think that's a good idea, but that's, That's where, again, a lot of employees are thinking, okay, well, we can't stand up for ourselves. We rely on our leadership and we really need that leadership to stand up and say, this is what we're going to do. And this is where we're headed. This is what we're, you know, so I agree. We need that strong leadership. And we know that an FBI director is typically a 10 year appointment and we'll see what happens, you know, um, I'm not here to make judgment calls on what's going to happen in leadership. We'll see what happens in the 2024 election, but I will not discredit Chris Ray as being a good person. When we lost our agents in the Miami division, he was there. He showed up. He was there, but we need leadership. That's going to protect the FBI, stand up for the FBI and draw the line in the sand when maybe the FBI is being pushed to do things that, you know, we, we, we've got to take a stand. And when there's bad behavior going on, it's got to be uh, accounted for. And it has to be it eliminated. Has to, it just has to end. It just has yeah. to end. The politicization just has to end. And if it appears to be political, whether, it, you know, they say that it's not internally, oh, you know, it's not political. That's just the media. 
you know what? Perception is reality. I know that's actually something I learned at Quantico. Uh, if they're saying that it's not, well, the perception that it is, the perception alone is damaging the FBI. But I personally believe that there is politicization. And I can tell you that there's a lot of employees that believe that there's politicization. And there's just no space for that in the FBI. We need to be fair, impartial, and unbiased. I do not care about what political side anyone is on. Look at the facts and follow the evidence, period. Nicole Parker, who was a special agent with the FBI from 2010 until just a couple of months ago when she resigned. You can read her op-ed on Fox News entitled, Why I Left the FBI. Nicole, thank you so much for joining The Brief. Appreciate it. Thank you. And that's The Brief. I'm Greg Jarrett. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.